So um, maybe you didn't grow up with um, a parent like I did who um, would always have a saying for everything, okay? My mother had a saying for everything. Um, things like cleanliness is next to godliness, all right? Uh, she would say that because my brothers and I never cleaned our room um, at all. Uh, in fact, my, my, I don't have any sisters. I had two brothers. So my parents bought two sets of bunk beds, uh, one for each of us to sleep in, a bed, a bed, a bed. Then the fourth bed, they said, was for our guests and our friends. We never had any guests, any friends. That's where we threw our clothes, all right? Uh, just that, That's what that was there for. And, and so uh, she'd have, you know, she'd cleanliness is next to godliness, you know. Uh, one that she loved to, to quote all the time was, I'm not afraid of hard work. I can lay down next to it and sleep all day long, all right? Uh, you'll think about that one sometime later on this week. But there was another one that she was always quoting, and, and she would say that uh, pride cometh before the fall. And I thought, Mom, you're just making that stuff up. I mean, most of us struggle with self-image. Most of us struggle with feeling good about ourselves. I mean, pride cometh before the fall. And then I, I went to college, right, and majored in Bible and religion and psychology, and I learned that a lot of the things my mother taught me about what was in, you know, these quotes that I thought, because my dad was a preacher, my mother's a preacher's wife, she's quoting this stuff, I'm thinking it's in the Bible. Yeah, no, th this stuff is not, uh, that cleanliness next to godliness is not in the book, y'all, all right? But that one about pride, actually, in Proverbs, um, it's in there, okay? Uh, and, and what it talks about is that pride goes before destruction, and then out of that destruction, there is the fall. And, and so this morning, I, I just, I want us to wrap up this series that we've been talking about, about expanding our worldview with understanding why a story that's in the Bible, that's in the book of Acts, is actually in the book of Acts. It's a story about pride that goes before the fall. And the reason it's in the book of Acts is because the same concept is literally throughout all of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, there is this concept. That the concept is this, that God is the one who's in control. That God is the one who deserves all the glory. That God is the one who created us, made us in His own image. That He loves us in spite of our failures. And that throughout Scripture, we're told over and over again that it's God's world. It's His will. It's His desire for you and me to live, for us to give Him honor and glory. I mean, you can find it in stories like where Moses is on the backside of a desert and, and he sees a burning bush and a voice speaks to him out of the burning bush. And, and as miraculous as all that is, there's this dialogue that happens between God and Moses where God's saying, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and set my people free. And, and Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? I mean, because it's Egypt and Pharaohs, and they've got all kinds of gods, Ra, the sun god, all of that kind of stuff. He said, no, you tell them I am that I am sent you. Or, or later, after Moses helps the people find their way out, and they're set free by God, and, and now Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the, the Ten Commandments, and the very first commandment, do you remember? You shall have no other gods before me. See, throughout the Scripture, there is this indication from God that He is sovereign and He is in control. And I think right now in the world where we're living, we have to get a grasp of that. 
Because we're living in a time of tremendous change, a time of tremendous turnover, a time of, of tremendous anxiety. And I've been reminding everybody, and by the way, I checked this morning just to make sure, because I've been telling you folks uh, online and on campus for the last month that no matter who won the election, God was still going to be God, He was still going to be on the throne, and Jesus is still His Son sitting at His right hand, and it's His kingdom, not any earthly kingdom. So whether your candidate won or lost, I want you to understand, you can breathe, it's okay. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's calling us in the midst of whatever chaos is going on, in the midst of all of this pandemic, in the midst of all the economic upheaval, He's calling us to acknowledge it, to acknowledge that He is the one who's in charge. And that's why we're trying to expand our worldview to, to include understanding that God is sovereign. And so we've been using the book of Acts, we've been allowing the stories of the first century church to talk to us about how we should live in the 21st century, and that's why this story that I want to read for you is so important, because it's a story that, it's a negative story. You have to understand, you learn some lessons positively, right? Sometimes God says, I'm the Lord your God. Worship me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Sometimes you shall have no other gods before me. But sometimes, sometimes God gives you an object lesson. He, he gives you an opportunity to see what happens when you don't do what He's asked you to do. And that's the kind of story that I want to read for you. If you were with us online or on campus last week, you know we talked about a guy named Agrippa the First. Agrippa I had grown up in Israel. His family was a, quote, royal family, and he had been shipped off to Rome as a boy where he was raised among the royalty in Rome and Caesar's household, and the new Caesar was actually his childhood playmate. And, and he empowered Agrippa to come back to his homeland of Israel and made him the king. And we looked last week at the passages where he was trying to endear himself to the, to the Jewish people, and so Agrippa in endearing himself to the Jewish people, what Agrippa did was he arrested Peter. He actually had James, John's brother, killed. He was arresting these Christians about 10 years after Jesus' resurrection, about 44 AD. Agrippa is, is there, and he's doing these things, and, and he arrests Peter, and he's going to have Peter killed, and then we looked last week at the fact that God miraculously saved Peter. But the story of Agrippa doesn't end there. Because you see, Agrippa becomes this person who has lived out this destructive pattern of not realizing that God is God and God is sovereign and you should have no other gods before him. He's, he's not living that out. He's living in a concept that he's in charge. He's living in a concept that he is the master of his own fate, that he's the one who's going to make sure his life is recognized. And the story, the story is a crazy story. Because it's actually, it's actually recorded for us in the book of Acts, but it's one of the, uh, the stories that's also validated historically by other texts outside of the Bible. It's recorded by a Jewish historian named Josephus. And when you compare the two stories, there's some wonder, it's the same story. It happened in 44 AD, and it's about the death of Agrippa and how Agrippa died. Listen to the story from Acts, and I'll tell you what Josephus adds to it that gives great meaning to it and lets you know a little bit about why Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, would not include it. Listen to what is there from Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now, Herod Agrippa 
was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. That's, that, those are, uh, that's a country, a region near Israel. It's out by the sea. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck Agrippa down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Now, why am I reading you this story and talking to you about what it means to understand that God's in charge? Because we're living in a world where people don't understand that God's in charge. And like Agrippa, we run the risk if we follow the patterns we're following now. We run the risk of destroying ourselves. We, we run the risk of what the writer of the Proverbs said in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We, we run the risk if we believe that we are the ones in charge and that God is not in charge. And so this story of Agrippa is a negative story that can teach us a positive lesson. And what it does is it teaches us the, the value that God puts on what the Scriptures call humility. Now, humility is not humiliation. Humility is not someone putting you down. Humility is not living in cowering fear from other people. No, no. Humility is living in a sense of balance. Humility is living in a sense of wellness. Humility is living in a sense of connection to God. And what's going on in this story is that Agrippa is not balanced. Agrippa is not connected to God. Agrippa is connected to Agrippa. And the story lets us know, both here in Acts and in the writings of Josephus. Because you see, Tyre and Sidon as seacoast areas, they were dependent upon Israel and the farmland there for their food. And as that, they realized they had to have a good relationship with whoever was in charge. And somehow, they don't really tell us how. Josephus doesn't. Luke doesn't. They don't tell us how. But somehow, the people in Tyre and Sidon ticked Agrippa off. And they knew they had to get back in his good graces. And so they arranged through some diplomatic ways to come into his presence and, and that basically shore up the, the way to keep the food coming to their country. But what's going on here is that Agrippa is not a man of humility. Agrippa is not a man of balance. Agrippa is a man who wants to dominate and manipulate and control. And so what takes place in this story is something that teaches you and me how not to live. And it teaches us how to live by telling us how not to live. And what it tells us not to do is, is not to be people who dominate and not to be people who control, but instead to live with a humility that relates rather than dominates. I mean, that, that's a huge thing. 
I know there's a lot of talk right now about how in the world we're going to bring the world back together again, bring our culture, our society out of this anxiety and out of this anger and out of this divisiveness. And there are people saying, you know, what we really need to do is we need to build relationships. But you can't build relationships if you're trying to use the other person. If we're going to bring things back together, we have to learn how to have relationships with one another where we treat one another as God's children. And so we need to live in balance. We need to live in wholeness. We need to live as people who can relate rather than dominate. And I want to tell you something. That's not easy to do, but it's imperative. It's what's going to have to take place if we're going to heal from the stuff that we're living through right now. We're going to have to remember God is sovereign. He is in control. We are not. And He has made us. He loves us. And just like He loves you, He loves me. And just like He loves me, He loves you. And just like He loves the people who think like you, He loves the people who don't think like you. He loves all of us because He made us. In fact, He loves all of us so much that He sent, you know the story, His one and only Son to die on a cross for us. And there's no prerequisite for His love. There's nothing that you have to do to earn His love. He's already given His love to you. And so what we learn in this story is that we can't live like Agrippa did where we make everybody afraid of us and we demand that they come and, and do what we tell them to do. But, but instead, in, instead we're asked to, to live with a sense of humility that builds relationships. But the, the fun part of this story for me is how Josephus verifies and validates what's in Scripture. Actually, Scripture validates Josephus, but that's my worldview, all right? And, and here's why. See, when Josephus tells this story, this next part of the story gets really, really fun. Because, you see, when they come before Agrippa, and he gives this grand oration. What, what Luke says is he puts on his royal robes, and he gives the grand oration. But, but, but well... When he does that, Josephus tells us a little bit more. See, what, what we get is, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. I mean, we get that story, right? And then he gets and he starts to, he starts to give this speech. He puts his royal robes on. But here's what Josephus tells us. Josephus tells us that those royal robes were made out of silver. That it was, it was this metallic, I mean, not, not just like made to look like it, but it was real metal. It was a cape made out of silver. And that, and that Agrippa chose the breaking of the dawn to give his oration. And so as he stands at dawn on this day that he's declared as a celebration for himself, for his power, for his mind, he's wearing this silver robe and the sun's glinting off the robe and, and he's there and there's this awesomeness about what he's doing and everybody's looking up and it's not just his words, it's his image. He's created this image because he wants to be the person in charge. You see, humility is the opposite of that. See, humility brings us into this balance where not only do we value relationships and value other people, but, but actually we empower them. Humility empowers instead of grasping for power. 
we, we live in a world where we grasp for power. And I know, I understand, everything's out of control right now. I understand good counselors, good therapists are telling all of us right now, when the world is this out of control, when you don't know when the next COVID case is going to be, when you don't know whether you can touch something or not touch something, when you don't know who's going to get sick and who's going to die, when you don't know what's going on, that you, you, you have to have some area of your life where there's stability, where there's centering. I get that. But in that centering and in that ability to find bases for your life, you need to understand that you can't dominate your life. God is sovereign. And He's not asking you to grasp for power. What He's doing is He's empowering you to live when you recognize that He is sovereign and you are not. I told you I had two brothers, right? And when we were growing up, I'm the oldest. So whenever my parents would leave, obviously, right, if you're the oldest, you're in charge. Except nobody told my brothers. And so every time my parents would leave and I would like be in charge, my brothers would look at me. In fact, my, my brother Kevin, who's just like two years younger than me, he would, his favorite quote in the whole world was this, who died and made you God? Who, who, who put you in charge? Can, can I tell you something? I, I, think, I think if we were really honest, God might look at some of us and say, which one of you died and put yourself in charge? See, I, I sent my son to die for you. That's how much I love you. That's how much in charge I am. That's what the biblical God is about. The God of the New Testament, the God of the Old Testament. He's about empowering us, not by grasping for power. He already has all the power. Humility, humility empowers others. Look again at the way Luke recorded the story. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, the big shiny silver robes, took his seat up on a throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. My friends, there's only one God. There's only one voice of God. Sometimes we hear it through the voices of women and men. Sometimes the Spirit of God speaks through people. But even then, it's only one voice from one God. And what happens? If we're people who are grasping for power like Agrippa, if we're people who are trying to dominate and manipulate people like Agrippa, instead of being people who in humility empower others, who in humility try to build relationships with others, who try to listen to other people who are different than us, if that's not who we are, if we, do, if we indeed are people who are trying to say our voice is God's voice, then, then what happens next is not good. Because you see, what happens next is we start listening to human voices instead of God's voice. And humility, humility that relates and humility that empowers, humility that brings balance, that humility gives glory to God instead of human beings. That's huge. That's huge. I have a friend, he's with the Lord now, 
And when I was a young pastor, and he was an older pastor, he and his wife were well-known speakers around the country. And, and on one occasion, my wife Becky and I were with them in a, in a setting where they were trying to help a young pastor and his wife grow and mature. And, and we were talking about, you know, the fact that on any given Sunday when you're a pastor, when you talk for a living like I do, there'll be people, some of you, who will walk out and say, hey, pastor, that was really good. There'll be others of you who just walk past me. There'll be others of you who look at me and say, Pastor, I don't like that at all. I've been living with that for a long time, like my whole life, all right? Because there's always somebody. And you know what God does to prepare you? He puts you in places where not everybody agrees with you. And, and, and we were talking about that, that conundrum that pastors have and that other people have where people build us up with words and they say things about you and you're really not that good, but you just think you're that good. And, 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 and so you start like Agrippa to start believing in things that you really shouldn't believe in. And, and, and my friend and his wife were telling us this story. I, I, I remember it well because my wife reminds me of it all the time. You see, my friend was speaking at a rather large convention in a campground-type format where hundreds of people were gathering for a week to listen to him teach and preach. And, and on one of, those, one of those days when it was the lunch bell rang and people were going to the cafeteria at the camp, and he knew that if he didn't get there, he wouldn't get his lunch. And so he got there ahead and was on his way, but he got interrupted by, by a woman from the camp. And this woman from the camp was, was telling him how wonderful his teaching was, how great a man he was, and, and how wonderful. And, and my friend's wife was trying to catch up to him. And she then interrupted him saying, let me tell you the rest of the story. Said, as this woman's telling my husband about how great he is, I, I, I come up and I hear her just as I come within earshot, I hear her say these words, your wife must be the luckiest woman in the world to be married to a spiritual giant like you. She said, I stood there for a minute and I went, spiritual giant? He doesn't even pick up his underwear. This man's no spiritual giant. She said, so I just eased behind her where she couldn't see me, but my husband could. And while she's infusing all of this praise about who he was, I, I, Carrie, I just couldn't, I couldn't resist. I just stood behind her where only he could see me and kept going, ah, ah. So the lady turned around and I went, hi, how are you? <laughs> Thank you for holding my husband so I could catch up with him. We laughed about that story, and then she got very serious, and he got very serious. And they looked at Becky and me, and they said, whatever God blesses you with, don't ever, ever forget you have feet of clay. You are human. It's God who is in control. My friend, I don't, I don't know who needs to hear that today in your world, but I'm pretty convinced our entire world needs to hear it. That humility gives glory to God, not human beings. Because if it doesn't happen, if we, don't, if we don't acknowledge that God is the one in charge, that He's the one who deserves all the glory and all the praise, then look what happened to Agrippa. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. That, that phrase, he was eaten by worms. Josephus adds a, a little more 
clarity to that. See, that's a cultural phrase that talks about dying a horrible death. It kind of inferences the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you, you are buried and the worms eat your body and that kind of thing. But, but what Josephus tells us is that, is that in the midst of all that praise to Agrippa, suddenly his abdomen just began, he, he began to writhe in pain. He had this unbelievable pain in his, in his abdomen, and, and five days later he died. And, and modern-day physicians, in, in looking at the description that Josephus says, so this more than likely there was a cyst of some form that ruptured inside of him at exactly that moment. And the phrase, he was eaten by worms, is a way of saying something awful happened in his body. And, and I'm not the kind of person who would tell you that God is such a vengeful God that he would deliberately put people in pain. But I am the kind of person who would tell you that when we forget to give God glory, the writer of the, Prover of the Proverbs was right. You see, that pride leads to destruction, and that destruction leads to the fall. And there is a sense that when we live out of balance, when we don't live in humility, when we don't live with wholeness, when we don't live giving God glory, when we don't live in a sense of relationship with other people, but instead we try to dominate and manipulate and we press and grab for the power and, and we become the people who think all the glory belongs to us and we're all of that. Then when that happens, my friends, when, when, when that happens, then then we do die. Little by little, day by day, we become smaller and smaller people inside. But, but if we can acknowledge who Jesus is, if we can acknowledge how much God wants to do in our life, if we can live with a humility that's marked by relationships with others that are balanced and loving and grace-filled, that's marked by, by empowering other people to see God's glory in their life. That's marked, that's marked by this, this sense of acknowledging that God is always the one in charge. If we can live that kind of life, then what, what Luke says is right. The Word of God increases and multiplies. Luke includes this story in the book of Acts to tell us that this Agrippa who was going to stop the church, this Agrippa who was going to keep Peter from proclaiming Jesus Christ, who, who killed James, who came in agony against the church, that Agrippa had to pay for his own actions with his own life. But the church, the, the people of God, the people marked by humility, compassion, grace, they lived to tell. And so I want you to know that the greatest thing that you can do to expand your worldview is to do it with humility, not with pride, not with arrogance, not with a sense of power and grasping for power, but by saying to Jesus Christ, here I am. Take everything I've got. 